Hello, and welcome to Co-op Cast. This week, Steve and Elijah will catch up on some reviews and get you all the co-op news. Welcome to Co-op Cast. My name's Steve. And I'm Elijah. And in this week's episode, we're going to cover some news and review SEAL Team Flex. So, Elijah, as we start the episode, what's new with you? What's new with me? So, this past week, I played the um, co-op version of fallout the game by fantasy flight game and it was amazing so there are some variants out there and some house rules to kind of take the base game and make it co-op but the expansion definitely refines that and i had a blast with my wife so um i just really love the narrative in that game i really love um kind of the theme and the exploration so that's awesome with the fallout is that the new expansion you're talking about uh, yes, it's the uh, new one by Fantasy Flight, um, uh, New California, I think it is. Gosh, and the rules they add in New California, are those co-op rules backwards compatible with the base game, or is it just a new content in New California that's the co-op? Um, it, it, so what they did was the scenarios, they released them as all co-op. So you still have the base scenarios and the, uh, the scenarios in the base game. And then in the new expansion, they've released co-op versions of those scenarios. So you get like five additional characters, um, you know, you get a bunch of loot cards, you get a bunch of item cards. Um, there's a bunch of new tiles, um, of course, a whole new story deck and, um, so you can still play the, the game normally, but you can play the original scenarios in full co-op. That's awesome. Sounds a lot like the Unbreakable Bonds and what that did to Runebound. Yes, I would agree. It was very It's very similar. And um, it, it, they actually, there's a new scenario as well in the expansion. And uh, I don't know, it's just great. So like I said, there's some variance in house rules, but um, having true co-op was just a totally different feel. And... Uh, for us took it to the next level so i really i really had a great time sweet we have to get that on the table then yes definitely can't wait to play and uh, review it also played a chapter in stuffed fables and a little bit of a surprise i purchased conflict of heroes awakening the bear so that's a uh being shipped and uh gonna give it a try it's kind of a token uh war game sort of thing so i'm gonna try my first four train of war gaming see how that goes um about the base game and then a solo expansion to kind of give that uh, a whirl. We'll see how it goes. Nice. We've been talking about trying to find a good war game. I've seen that one pop up on a few lists. So You know, there's a lot out there, and uh, I'm a big World War II fan and history fan. Really looking forward to U-Bot, as uh, our listeners may know. Um, both, Well, probably you more than me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, so I actually went to the War Game Recommend uh, War Game Forum and um, kind of posted what I was looking for, tactical, solo, European theater, um, World War II game, and got a bunch of recommendations, kind of read the rule books, looked at some reviews, and uh, ended up deciding and pulled the trigger. So uh, it arrives next week. Very excited to dig into uh, what it offers. So that was uh, my week. How about yourself? So my week lately has been not quite as eventful as Elijah's, <laughs> but I did have a milestone I wasn't sure I'd ever reach. As you know, I'm a big Lord of the Rings living card game fan, and I've been playing this game for a long time. In fact, I met with a guy out in California uh, remotely, and we've been playing Lord of the Rings living card game just about weekly when we can make it work. And our goal was to play through every scenario in order until we beat it. And up until recently, we finally beat the last cycle, and so we've caught up to the current release cycle. We're not 
caught up to the current releases, but at least we're in the same cycle. So that was a pretty big achievement. It took us about like, I don't know, three years to actually reach that point. So we're, we're pretty excited about that. Wow, that's amazing. You should win some sort of a medal uh, or an award, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe check yourself into a psych hospital. I don't know. One of the... That's probably more accurate. <laughs> you have too much time to burn. <laughs> so real quick, what's your take on um, kind of where you've been, the journeys that you've gone through the game? So i say the earlier scenarios were fine. There's some good ones in there and, of course, some misses like normal. But they were not nearly as good as what the newer scenarios are. And I feel like they've really hit their stride lately. And with the inclusion of these uh, side quests, which are either player created or even better when they're part of the encounter set, really adds a whole nother, I don't know, story or theme to the quest you go on. And the, even after all these quests we've been playing, the fact that they all still feel pretty different to from each other really says something about the system they've created for this game. So yeah, I'm enjoying the playthroughs, and I can't wait to get back to it. And so how much do you have left, Steve, real quick? Just kind of curious. You said you jumped in. You guys now made it into the current um, cycle. So how much is involved in uh, the current cycle? Like how, how many episodes? Yeah, so if you're not familiar with the Lord of the Rings living card game, they release these sets in cycles, they're called, where there's a core or a deluxe expansion, to say, that has three quests in it. And then they create adventure packs, which is one quest... And there's six of those. So the three quests in the deluxe pack plus the six adventure packs equal up to nine quests total. And that constitutes a cycle. And in the earlier game, they were there was some kind of continuity between them. But definitely later on, there's a story that goes from the very first quest to the last quest in that nine uh, quest cycle. So yeah, we've made it through seven complete cycles. And we made it to the eighth cycle that's currently coming out now called the Wilds of Rovanian. And each cycle is based on a different part of Middle-earth. And so currently this new cycle, they have the deluxe already out. So there's those three quests. And then they've just released uh, four adventure packs past that point. So we have another seven quests to go through before we get up to date. Wow, so plenty more content to play through, it sounds like. That's cool. Yeah, and then we keep replaying them until we win. So that could be a lot of plays in some cases <laughs> before we actually beat them. So. <laughs> but it's been what? fun. Yeah, like I said, get yourself checked into a psych hospital soon. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we've been up to, but we also have a Slack community you can join if you want. And that community has lately been talking about the unique games concept. This is a reflection to the last week's episode where my computer reviewed Discover Lands Unknown and kind of started talking about the concept of a unique game. If you're not familiar with that, go check it out. But a unique game is basically a game that is procedurally generated. So your copy will be different than any another copy that's, that's purchased. And so there's a lot of questions around, is that is this a good concept to do? Discovery Lines Unknown, was this successful in its unique game concept or not? And so that's been really interesting to follow that discussion on Slack. In addition to that, there's an older Kickstarter that's finally delivering to backers, and that's Madara. And so there's been a lot of excitement around this game. This is a dungeon crawl game that is quite huge meaning like there's a lot of content in a huge box so uh with the long wait that it took to get to backers i think it was a 2016 campaign i think it's finally getting to backers now there's a lot of backers and players interested here how good it is so be on the lookout for that because i'm sure we'll be covering that soon speaking of kickstarter let's jump into the news the first game we'll talk about is aeon's end the new age so Aeon's End, The New Age, this is a standalone slash expansion for the Aeon's End cycle. If you're not familiar with Aeon's End, 
In this game, one to four players are playing as mages, trying to cast spells and stop a boss from destroying Greyfold or themselves. And then the new age adds more cards that can be combined is with their existing content or as a standalone pack. And the new things that add is a campaign mode. And so this is a replayable campaign, unlike the legacy version that came out before it, where you can link together four nemesis to battle in increasing difficulty. And between each of these battles, you can gain some loot that will persist between those campaign games. So that game is Aeon's End, The New Age. It's currently funded on Kickstarter, and the Kickstarter campaign ends March 15th. The next game on Kickstarter we'll talk about is Zone Raiders, a miniatures campaign skirmish game. So this game is a miniature game, but it can be played fully cooperative. You are leading a band of survivors in a post-apocalyptic sci-fi tech world, trying to beat up aliens, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, this game has elements of stealth in it as well, and you can have, looks like it's got tons of items you can equip your dudes with. Anyway, looks kind of interesting if you're looking for a cooperative miniatures game. That game is Zone Raiders, a miniature skirmish game. It's currently funded on Kickstarter, and the campaign ends February 19th. The next game I want to talk about is not on Kickstarter, but it was an announcement on BoardGameGeek News recently, and that is a new version of Time Stories. So it looks like Time Stories is getting revamped, with the original cycle being coined as the white cycle, and now they're making what they're calling a blue cycle. If you're not familiar with Time Stories, it's kind of like Quantum Leap, but in board game form, where you are inhabiting other characters' bodies and walking around trying to solve a mystery. Each of these mysteries to solve is a one-time playthrough, because once you know the solution, you can't really replay it. But it got a lot of excitement when it was first launched. And this new one, they're looking to change how that game plays. And now, instead of having an overarching campaign, each of these releases can be played in any order. So they're their own standalone games. You don't need a base game and then, then buy the expansions. In addition to that, the original game was focusing on items. This new game is focusing on the characters. And now, depending on what character you're playing as or inhabiting as, how you interact with the NPCs or the characters in the game, they might react to you differently based upon the character itself. So anyway, this is based upon a lot of the feedback that designers got from Time Story. So hopefully this is a, a great improvement from the game. So be on the lookout for Time Story's Revolution, a midsummer night. Enough of the news, let's jump into our discussion topic and that's gonna be the review of SEAL Team Flicks. So SEAL Team Flicks is a tactical dexterity game and uh, you basically play as SWAT team members or uh, Navy SEALs in a fully co-op and actually you can play solo as well um, sort of game. And so it unfolds through a campaign. There's branching storylines, plays one to four players, 17 total missions in an eight mission nonlinear campaign. So again, you have some branching depending on um, how the uh, scenarios play out. It's 60 to 90 minutes and I'll turn it over to you to Steve to tell us a little bit more about the game. Yeah, so how the game plays is first the SEALs will take their turns and you can choose to take your turns in any order. But when you take your turn, you'll take two actions. And those actions could be a move and every SEAL has its own movement speed. You can bypass, which is trying to to crack an electronic lock. You can defuse, and this is if you encounter a bomb of some kind. Uh, you can command. There are hostages throughout the board that you may need to rescue. 
If you're lucky enough to be next to a tango, you can potentially take him out with a knife attack. And then you can just use various equipment you've brought onto the mission. And of course, the most common one you probably wind up doing is shooting. And then there's some other options as well where you can interact with people or give things to people. And those are free actions that don't count to your two action allotment. After you do an action, you'll have to double check for the zone you're in, in line of sight, for any reaction fire you may happen with any tangos nearby. And then after all the seals have taken their turn, then we move on to the enemy turns. So there are three types of enemies in the game. There are sentries, which will guard an area and not leave that area. There are patrols, which are the kind of the opposite of that. They're generally always on the move, wandering around the map. And then if you're unlucky, you might run to a mastermind, which is their leader, which basically buffs up their attacks of all the enemies. And first, the sentries, if they're alerted, meaning if they hear sound nearby, they might take cover in preparation for defending the area. And after that, then you look at the masterminds and see if they are alerted as well, and they'll move around. And then finally, the patrols will move. After that, you'll spawn new patrols potentially, and this will be based upon how much sound you generated during your turn, because every item and weapon you fire will create sound. Also, there are times when you'll have extra sound on the board based upon the enemy fire in case they happen to spot you and take a shot at you. And then after you've done the spawning, you'll reduce sound. So the sound in this game, after you take a shot, will slowly dissipate in different areas. So there's kind of an echoey effect in the game. And then any tangos or enemies that have line of sight on you will take cover and attack you. Then you check victory conditions and advance the timer in the game. After that, you start a new round with tangos starting the round all over again. So it really caught my attention in these maps, these large maps where you actually construct these 3D walls. So, and a heads up that if you do want to buy this game, there is a good amount of setup to create these map tiles, but you only have to do it once, so it's not that huge of a deal. But anyway, you'll be flicking these discs around the game and maybe ricocheting off walls to try to hit enemies around the corner. So that's a really brief overview of how the game plays and a little bit about what's thematically like. So let's jump into our review of five things. And so if you're not familiar with this review format, we're been covering five things we think are important to know about the game. And we'll be starting with our least important number five and working our way to our most important number one. And we'll be categorizing these as pros or cons. So Elijah, what's your number five? So I'll go ahead and jump into my number five. It is a pro and it is the strategy in the game versus the dexterity. And not even necessarily versus, but sort of the symbiotic relationship between them is, I love it, it's very fun. So um, in this game, it is definitely dexterity. Um, you will not just be flipping cards, rolling dice, um, drawing from a deck, um, you know, in the case of Nemesis, uh, placing a card in a, in a viewer to see if you're infected, you will be flicking. You definitely are in there and, and getting involved in aiming. And uh, it's fun because there's always this uncertainty of, like, is, am I going to hit the right part of my fingernail or thumb or finger? And um, so it kind of leaves that sort of like skill and uncertainty. And I really like that. And so you also actually have the strategy part of it um, where this isn't something you're just going to be like um, flip ships, for example, where, you know, there's a little bit of strategy, mostly dexterity. Um, I would akin this a little bit to actually chess. I mean, it's kind of interesting because the way that 
the enemies move on the board and sort of like it's the combination of two you're planning out like where are they going to move who's moving where and then coupled with the noise in the game which you know i love and that all kind of works together to create this like amazing strategic sort of um, discussion at the table and definitely co-op right so you go here i'm gonna throw my grenade um and so i just love that i don't know how you do you have any comments on that steve yeah this is a good one to bring up and when i hear dexterity i normally think of more of a party style game you know light-hearted flicking things around like i don't know something like flick him up or even like flip flips like you mentioned and i was really surprised to find out that there's a lot of planning that has to go on in this game for being a dexterity game and like you said before there the balance between just having fun flicking things around versus something where you have to work together and plan multiple turns ahead it's I was not prepared for that later part to actually plan ahead. And I was pleasantly surprised to find it in the game of this nature. Yeah. And, you know, as they say, best laid plans. And so, you know, you can sit here and strategize all you want. And then you go to flick and it is just a bad fingernail day. And that thing is not going to go where you want it to go. And likewise, you actually have like some amazing banking shots and you, you'll flick stuff and, you know, end up taking out multiple guys or stunning them and things. So I just, that's my number five pro. It's just, uh, I love the strategy and the balance between the strategy and the dexterity. It just makes for um, really fun along with the player board. So there's some sniping and the, the bombs that you have to defuse, which are also um, flicking and dexterity. And it's just really cool. I love it. Yeah. And those boards you're mentioning are these sideboards. So one thing we didn't mention is oftentimes when you try to do activities in the game, not just rolling a dice like you do more, most games to do a check or flipping cards to do checks. You're doing something physical to perform that action. So if you're trying to bypass an electronic lock, you actually have a picture of a lock with a disc and you're trying to flick discs off those number pad to find the combination. Or if there's a time bomb you're trying to defuse, you need to cut certain wires by flicking discs off those wires. Or maybe if you're trying to snipe someone, you actually have a scope and you're trying to almost do a shuffleboard shot to hit this disc and try to hit the target on various parts of his body. You have to do a long range snipe. Yeah, just it's really fun. I mean, like I said, the dexterity and the strategy and that is, you know, so especially when you're like diffusing a bomb, yes, you have to flick, but there's a strategy, I guess, as well, you know, could, depending on your loadout of your character and stuff. So that's my number. Yeah, that's my number five, Steve. I'd love to hear yours. So my number five being a pro is bang for your buck. I was really surprised to find out that this game only costs $60 MSRP and surprisingly low for what you get in my opinion. The biggest thing you'll notice when you play this game is you get six map boards and these are fairly large map boards that are about the size of a small board game in itself. And each of these map boards have, like we mentioned before, 3D walls that you have to assemble. They go around all around the borders for the most part and there's a lot of interior doors and they're very quite a bit. Some of them's like a airport terminal or a subway or a, a hospital or other points other maps of interest points of interest and you get a lot of standees and i know the designers were talking about how they want the miniatures but honestly i'm okay with the standees in this one it actually makes it easier to play in my opinion where you can listen for that wood contacting the plastic it makes it pretty easy to distinguish a successful a, a shot versus the one that missed and you get uh, some really thick player boards, a lot of tokens, and everything seems to be pretty good quality. 
So for $60, that's not what I expected for this game. I expected easily $80 or higher for what you get in this giant box. I would agree with you, Steve. There is a ton of content, um, especially when you've unpacked and set it up. Yeah, there's just a lot in the box for what you pay. So I'll jump into my number four. My number four is a con. I've been talking about this for other games, and I have to talk about this game as well, and that is player elimination, or actually elimination in general. Because there are two types of elimination in this game. One being player elimination, so as you're playing a mission, if your character gets eliminated, you're kind of out for that mission until you finish it up. And you have character elimination if you're playing the campaign. So you can play this game as campaign or standalone scenarios. If you're playing campaign, your character itself could get eliminated, so you have to start over from the beginning with a new character. And I just never liked that in my board games. I don't want to have the option of someone sitting and just waiting for the game to end. Now, granted, in this game, like most games where you have player elimination, if someone goes down, there's a really good chance that everyone's going to go down pretty quick after that. And I think that's true here for the most part. Once you make a bad move, you can easily have all the enemies rain fire down upon you pretty quickly. So that's definitely negative. There's ways of, of house ruling if you want to get rid of it. It's not that big of a deal. But one of the other issues that I don't like is for the character elimination in a campaign game, you have to start over from the beginning with a brand new character. And yeah, you can level them up. It's not the end of the world, but the fact that if you were to play these later missions as a standalone scenario, they have a starting rank that's recommended to play that game standalone. And if your character got eliminated, well, guess what? Now you're playing a low level character in the mission that was designed and standalone for a higher rank character. And you're already at a, at a detriment there. So yeah, the player elimination, character elimination, not a fan of this game. Yeah, I think, um, especially in co-op games, you know, when everyone's sitting at the table um, and you have sort of a player eliminated, it kind of does a buzzkill at the energy at the table. Um, you know, what are they going to do? Kind of sit and watch you. And um, so, yeah, I would agree with you. And especially kind of the unfun aspect where you would have to totally start over. Um, I feel it might be a too big of a penalty. So I'm going to agree with you on that one, Steve. Yeah, like I said, it's not a, it's number four, so it's not a huge deal in this game that, that when it happens, it's, we haven't had it to be a problem per se. And I, and I think I understand where they're getting at, where you want that tension that it, elimination or death in this game is a big risk factor. And I understand that. But I'm playing games for fun, and I don't always want to have to deal with that in my games. So... Yep, that's my number four, con. So I'll jump into my number four. It is a con as well. And it seems to me the upgrades um, seem limited and a little bit restrictive. So um, as you play the campaign, you're going to level up and get experience. And there's essentially this deck of cards that you can go and kind of outfit your um, player, your, your seal um, with. And this could be things like scopes or cameras and things. And I guess for me, it just feels like I wish there was more to pick from and a little bit more variety. Um, I get the realism aspect of it, um, you know, in, in the sense that um, so and by that, I guess I mean, if you pick a card or a class, um, you, you will have to kind of go down this. So it's like, a, I guess what I would call a speciality where, um, you know, maybe I, like, for instance, I'm working on uh, battle rifles. And so all my future upgrades for my guns sort of and talents revolve around, you know, am I doing that? And I just it's that's OK. That's not it for me. It's it's mostly the upgrades, kind of the attachments they have to your gun 
I mean, I guess uh, there's just not a large variety. And I contrast that with something like Imperial Salt, where there's, you know, different kinds of health packs, stims, grenades, um, many, many different types of weapons. And I know it's apples to oranges here. So I really, really appreciate the design in the game um, where SEAL Team Flicks is more realistic. Um, but I just would have loved to seen a little bit more. You know, I have to imagine... Um, our special forces have a little bit more available to them. So Steve, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this one or. No, I agree. I think it's a good point to bring up where like Imperial Assault, you don't really have classes to worry about. Any character can use any item or weapon that you've come across. But in this game, because you have a, a speciality that you are stuck using certain weapons or items. And I think the variety in weapons and items in the base game is good in and of itself. But if you're limiting that choice by like three quarters or, or half or something like that, depending on what characters you're choosing, then I feel like it wasn't enough for the base game. Now, granted, this could be easily fixed with expansion. No issues there. But yeah, I agree. I think it would have been a little bit better if we had a little more variety in that for picking stuff. Because that's part of the fun in the game is you go on this mission and you have so many uh, item slots available to you. You kind of know what the mission is ahead of time. So you can try to load out your character for your best chance of success. And having more options would be a lot more fun, for sure. Yeah, and like I said, I, I, to me it screams expansion. And, you know, from what I understand, the designers probably had an expansion um, in mind. And it feels that way. Um, and so it's a con for me. I would just, it would be cool to see a little bit more variety in the upgrades. And um, as it is now, kind of when you go on a mission, it's the choice is pretty clear. So, for example, if there's a lot of doors, you know, I might take a camera. Someone else might take a stim pack and things. But it's there's not a lot of hard choices. I mean, they're pretty apparent generally, and just not a ton of variety. So that's my number four con. I'll go ahead and jump into my number three, Steve. It is the uh, pro actually, and it is the AI pathing. The way the game works is um, it's there's square tiles, and that dictates movement. And you, you can't move diagonally in this game. As you move around the board and, you know, each character generally has four movement points. I believe there's some that have five. And as you're moving around the board, there's only so much you can do with your two actions. So you can either move twice effectively running or move once. And um, what it does is it creates a lot of planning. And here comes the strategy. So the pathing is there are three tracks. Um, there's a green, a yellow, and a red track on the board, and they have numbers on them. And they kind of jump around on these different paths, as it were, throughout the board. And so sentries, as Steve had mentioned, they don't move, and the patrols do. And so it creates this really unique um, game mechanic where, based on the noise, and based on line of sight, and based on the enemy seeing you, sort of there's this whole kind of algorithm and sort of AI that... It moves along the paths and it creates this really interesting thing where you're really thinking it out like, wait, they're going to go here. But if I generate four noise, well, if we threw a smoke bomb and then we move this way, but then they'll come this way. And so this one could spawn on this track. So you have these tracks and AI and then coupled with all of that, you roll dice. And so depending on how much noise we've generated, you're going to roll dice and spawn more guys. And that creates this whole nother dynamic where, you know, Steve and I have cleared out a room. And all of a sudden we roll a dice and boop, here comes a guy in the back door. And it's like, whoops, you know, and so all of a sudden our plan was just like thrown awry. And so I really love the AI pathing. That's 
It's a really good point, and I'm not going to talk much about it because I might have more to say later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 really cool. I mean, I think it's really well done in this game. AI is always kind of a tricky thing, you know. I mean, um, Steve, like, give me an example of uh, a game that you love the AI. Just kind of curious. Uh, Gears of War and Sword and Sorcery are my top two, I'd say. And what makes it you? What 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 do you love about those? Like, what is it? Just at a general level, you know. The AI feels intelligent when I'm playing against it. That's what it comes down to. Yep. It's not just making random moves and I'm go- going against it. Yep. And and this game, it's interesting because it it has the path, and so you know the direction they're going to move. And even with that, there's still the unpredictability. So yeah, this is my number three. Uh, the pro, love it. Uh, AI pathing. Toss it over to you, Steve. Let me hear your number three. My number three is a pro, and that's the non-linear campaign. Lately, I've been feeling a little burned out with every game being a campaign game, but this one was a breath of fresh air for me, in the sense that it only lasts eight missions max, and you could lose as early as four missions if you are horrible like me <laughs> when you're playing dexterity campaign <laughs> games, because <laughs> I may have lost in four missions before in a campaign. <laughs> so... <laughs> But the really cool thing about this is as you play each mission, you have multiple paths you can branch off to. So you have a primary objective, but oftentimes, not all the times, but oftentimes you also have a secondary objective. And you have, of course, a failure potential. And based upon your success level, meaning uh, fully successful or partial success or maybe in failure, yeah, you branch of different missions that tie into your the story you've been creating as you go through these this campaign. And I really liked that. It was something that there's a lot of missions available to you because there's 17 total in the book. And you can play all of them standalone. So there's quite a bit of variety in there. But to play a whole campaign, it's only eight missions. And to play a mission, it doesn't take very long. You could play as quick as, on my experience, about an hour. Because the board setup is literally just grab one of these boards and plop it down the middle of the table and then set up some tokens and go. It's really not that bad. Uh, so you can play a couple of games a night even. It was refreshing to play a campaign game that wasn't going to take multiple months, I felt like, to get through it. And the fact that this was nonlinear was very welcoming. So that's my number three. Nonlinear campaign. I would agree. Um, the branching is fun. Anytime you have nonlinear, it makes it uh, very exciting. What's kind of interesting as well is obviously it creates some replayability. So... Um, what we of course what we don't know is you know once we've branched um, a certain way in the campaign we don't know what the other side was and in the in the rule book they tell you they show you kind of the, how the campaigns branch and so you can actually have some scenarios that you wouldn't play and it's kind of interesting because there is kind of this replayability to it then to kind of go back and and try for a secondary objective or even a third. Um, and Steve, are these scenarios, um, can you play them standalone? I suppose, right? So Every scenario is standalone as oh, well. Okay, yes. yeah. So in that sense, you're not necessarily ever missing anything in the game. So. so I'll jump into my number two. My number two is a bit of a con, unfortunately. And that's the balance of scenarios. And so what I mean by that is, while I enjoy these scenarios and they do vary, the how they're set up can significantly affect your experience of that scenario. So how this works is there are points of interest essentially on the map and you'll be taking these tokens, flipping them upside down, mixing them up and placing a number of them onto these locations and it'll vary where they appear in the map. Well, if the objective happens to appear really close to your start zone or maybe even in your start zone, then you're 
it's kind of a wash of an objective. It kind of falls flat, unfortunately. It's like, oh, well, that was really easy. Let's move on to the next scenario. Or conversely, if that objective ends in the far corner, well, now it's going to be a lot harder. So there's a good amount of variety in the difficulty and how that plays out, unfortunately. Now, it's not a huge deal because if you're setting it up, you can easily just manipulate yourself, say, okay, in the last half of the board, I'm going to put our objective in this grouping. And it wouldn't be that hard to do, honestly, to fix it. But if you're not careful with it, you can definitely experience that, and that's unfortunate. In fact, I've had instances in standalone where the game has kind of flopped, unfortunately, because of that. Where, oh yeah, here's objectives right here. That's not a good example of it. Let us let me take this objective, mix it up, and we'll put it someplace randomly elsewhere. And it was easy enough to remedy at the time, but it was unfortunate. But in the campaign game, I don't think we ever encountered that as Elijah and I played. So just be aware that that can happen. That's the con, the balance of scenarios. Yep, and actually I'm going to kind of dovetail a little bit on that. Um, my number two is a con, and I just kind of group this all under what I would call level design. So... Uh, this is a tough one. All except for one map is actually indoor based. And um, I think it's the nature of the game. But like, you know, from trains to hotels and kind of it's cool. And it's kind of terrorism and sort of SWAT team. And, and you kind of envision that. But I guess I would have liked to see a little bit more variation in level design. Um, so, for example, maybe the streets, maybe like a riot, maybe, I don't know, dumpsters. Or I, I guess I'm not quite sure, like a high rise uh, maybe a, a park I'm not I don't know I just and it's not only that but like so for example there's no multi-level I think that would have been cool to like actually go upstairs to like and, and smaller so like smaller maps but more of them connected to kind of create this level of this um, feeling of you're going up a level I don't know like trees hills kind of something more with obstructions besides just crates and um, and, it, and also the last kind of as, in, as it relates to level design is um, the random placement of some of the objectives so you know, again, like Steve had mentioned, you kind of take these tokens and you shuffle them up. And um, it actually did happen to us once, Steve, but it wasn't sort of game breaking. It, it didn't end the game, but, um, you know, we were kind of roaming around. You randomize and it's like, well, let's go check out, you know, this one and I'll scope it out and see. And it ended up being something we needed. Um, and so we ended up deciding, hey, let's go for everything. You know, let's go for the gusto, all objectives. And so um, I, I don't know. That, to me, it's a con. I, I just when you look at other games that have come out like Imperial Assault and Fallout with the variation in tiles. And again, you know, apples to apples, apples to oranges here, because this is a dexterity game. It's unlike anything else. Um, to me, I would have just liked to see more variation in the level design and that kind of encompasses everything. So you can think about this too with video games. Um, if you've ever played like Quake or any other kind of game, um, a good map can make or break the game and you can have choke points and sort of the way you spawn and things and it can really make that and so this there's a lot of um sameness to the levels they kind of feel a little bit the same i mean there's some variation but i just think um i would have liked to see a little bit more so that's my number two and it is a con level design i agree and disagree on different parts of what you described so i agree that it would have been fun to have different size levels and going upstairs and having more you would feel more connected and thematic to the world that would definitely be very cool and that could be easily fixed in expansion or something, for for example, in the future. Who knows? But I will disagree a little bit on the choke points um, and the sameness of levels because there's definitely some levels that are harder than others just because of how it's laid out. Where there's a big open area we have to venture through to start and there's a lot of guys that crates or hide behind crates to begin with. And that really 
makes that map feel a lot different how you have to approach it versus some other ones where you're in the train. You've got a lot of nooks and crannies to hide behind. So disagree a little bit there, but agree with most of everything else you said. Yeah, and like I said, it's you know there is some of that variation there. I would just like to have seen more. Also, the tokens, sure. it's kind of how the map is set up. So, I mean... Um, like I said, I just think to me again, this kind of screams expansion because you know you could actually have like the diehard scenarios, you know, with like multi level or like I don't know. There's just there. I think there's a lot of room for sort of um, more creativity. So that's my number two, and I'm actually going to jump into my number one, Steve. It is a pro, and it is what I'm calling the innovative and uniqueness of this game. So there's. To my knowledge, nothing like it. I mean, the fact that you kind of have these uh, bumper raised edges that define the walls of a building, the rooms of a hotel, uh, the trains, right, of a, uh, the cars of a train, um, and you're using discs of different size, right? You have smaller discs, medium and larger. And then, like, if you shoot a shotgun, you get a bunch of smaller ones, or, you know, a slug, you could shoot a single big one. Just kind of that with the sentries and the patrols and the crates and kind of it's very sort of it's so unique it's so innovative like i actually have a lot of fun right i mean you we've sat at the table and it's like oh gosh oh gosh and just boom and you'll get these ricocheted shots taking out guys and it just feels good and it's just like super cool like what other game can you sit at the table and do this nothing it's just unlike any game um, that i'm aware of and there might be something i mean obviously there's dexterity based games but uh it's just so innovative yeah, Elijah, I completely agree. In fact, that's one reason why it was on my watch list for a while, just because I couldn't think of any other game that's quite like it. And that's kind of why I picked it up in the first place. The fact that you have these really cool map tiles with these raised edges, exactly you describe, and you have a lot of choices in how you load out, what weapons you choose, how the shots work, and it's co-op with a good amount of planning and strategy to evolve. Yeah, very, very pleased with this one. Yeah, it's super cool. So again, just like kudos for the innovation and the uniqueness i mean you know I, ca I can't imagine producing something like this that you get where you're assembling the edges and stuff like you had mentioned um the value in the box so i just love it it's a lot of fun so my number one is gonna be a pro and this is something that elijah mentioned earlier and that is the movement of enemies so i'm a big sucker for smart enemy ai and in this game, it, the enemy's AI, it doesn't really have a unique intelligence in how they act. There's a flow chart or the description on the back of the rule book that walks you through how they're supposed to move. And it's not like there's checks and balances you need to do necessarily. But how it works really is, like Elijah mentioned earlier, each of these maps, they have areas. And so the enemies will move from area to area. And within and each area composes of a number of spaces that the seals move in. So it's like a, a different resolution. And so they move area to area along this patrol path. And some patrol paths loop, loop around the board on themselves. Some, just they just walk to the end of the track and they stop and wait. And they'll do this as long as they don't hear noise. But once they hear noise, they go and investigate. And as they move along these areas, these points, these spots they stand in, they were designed in such a way that it makes it really challenging to to figure out and play against. And it's such a, it's such a hard thing, I think, to design, but it's so simple to execute. And it provided that feeling of a smart, intelligent AI. I can't tell you how many times in the game I've sitting down and playing this game, 
and okay, I'll I'll move here because this is a good spot. But then I look at the board and I had I figure out the movement ahead. And if this enemy enemy reacts and moves, he's gonna move in the exact works position that can spot me. And now I have to really figure out what to do to go out of my way to avoid this or put myself in position to take him out. And it, that really added a ton to the game. And so the ability to have to plan ahead multiple turns for something in the what you know you might think is a simple dexterity game. Big surprise, really big fan of how the enemies move in this game. Yep, I knew you would. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you had touched on it earlier. Um, so is my number three pro as uh, the pathing. I just love it. And like you said, there's strategy involved. So you're sitting here and, and right, we're sitting at the table. It's a bit, a bit like chess. Um, he's going to go here. He's going to go here. And then the noise will tick down. So you're kind of planning. It's kind of a lot of strategy. And then it all comes down to the flick. You know, you just never know. And then the dice, right? We had a guy pop in the same room as us, and all of a sudden they're taking pot shots at us. And so I just, yeah, the whole AI is just a lot of fun in this game. Yeah, I'll mention that real quick too. So everything a character does in this game is based upon flicking. It's all deterministic by your skill, essentially. But the enemy is determined by rolling dice. And so it made it really quick to resolve theirs, and ours felt like it mattered. And man, my dexterity skills are not good. Trust me. Elijah's are much better than my own. So it was really nice playing with someone who actually has skill in this game. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, like you said, uh, the whole fact that we have to plan not just one turn in advance. We had to plan multiple turns in advance. If we only planned the next turn and something happened or we misplanned it, you can have the whole mission come to a screeching halt and close just because you get overwhelmed by enemies and you screwed up. And that level of tension, having to really work closely and tactically to figure out where you move, really shines to me in this game. Mm -hmm. All based around that enemy movement. Yeah, I'll just chime in and say, you know you're bad at flicking when you have to take the card that gives you the bigger disc. <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> well, oh, I know you're bad at flicking when as I'm playing a sniper and can't hit the guy in the next room and you come with a shotgun and you're able to take him out the next room with a shotgun. <laughs> Oh, it's a lot of fun. And that's what's you know so cool about it is you have that strategy and then it's the flicking just feels so satisfying. It's so like fun to, you know, stun these guys and take out the crates and it's just and and especially bank shots, right? So if I can hit this thing and it can bank off the it's just so cool. So So Elijah, let's move into our final thoughts. What do you think of this game and who would you recommend it to? <sighs> that's an interesting one. So um I would recommend this game to somebody who is is into like modern warfare and sort of combat but not to like a very deep level um if you like sort of the SWAT team feel and you like some linear campaign you're okay with you know kind of a little bit of restriction and you're upgrading and um, you just love the idea of kind of like getting together I'm, i hesitate to say a beer and pretzel game but just it's it's that level of fun and it's really um I don't know, like it, it can go both ways. So you can have somebody where, you know, if you don't take it too seriously, you're probably going to just gonna, the game's going to be over. So I guess I would recommend it to anybody yeah, who is looking for a dexterity based game with a strategy, kind of thinky, right? And is really interested in some uh, very different AI with uh, totally unique gameplay. So with that, you know, the raised edges and sort of that linear campaign, um, I would 
not recommend this to somebody who um, isn't good at flicking. <laughs> I mean, what? What are you trying to say? <laughs> no, actually, um, practice flicking before you buy the game. No, um, this is... Uh, <laughs> or like, if you're like Steve, you can take the upgrade that gives you the bigger disc. Um, there you go. <laughs> so if you're not into sort of the combat theme, like, you know, th there's going to be people who are put off by SWAT team and sort of like military type things. And because um, you have the ranks in here, E7 and so on. And, you know, I wouldn't get, you know, I would stay away. Um, if you're somebody who is, um, you know, you want a lot of variety with upgrades and cards and guys and sort of levels, you might want to stay away from this one. It's a, it's it's kind of samey. It's not very bad, right? It's the the beauty of the game isn't in the variety. It's just in having fun. So, um, and again, my final thoughts are just, I love the strategy, the dexterity, the AI pathing is amazing. I love the noise in this game. We talked about it in the Nemesis review. I just love how noise works in this game. It ticks down. You're always cognizant of like, don't make too much noise. Um, it's innovative. And, you know, like I said, there's some level and issues and some of the upgrades, but it's just overall, it's a, it's a great game. So I'll jump in my final thoughts. Being a game about seals, this game definitely oozes tactics and it shines in the theme and I honestly the gameplay, how, how you execute it and play it. I was very surprised to find out, and I said this early in the review, and I'll repeat it here, how much planning was actually involved in something that I initially came at as a cooperative dexterity game. And yeah, dexterity is definitely a major component of the game for sure. So if you don't like dexterity games, will this change your mind of them? Maybe, maybe not. I wouldn't necessarily say that. But I, I would say that this is probably the best cooperative dexterity game I've played, and there's not too many else out there. I think the other one that comes to mind is Flip Ships. Um, and there's another one, uh, Dungeon Fighter that I unfortunately haven't played, but this one definitely uh, hit true for me. and It was a lot of fun. There's really not any luck for the actions a player takes, but there is luck for how the enemy acts and how the map's set up. So if you don't like that variance, you might not like this game as much. Uh, you can, like I said before, you can kind of uh, house rule or tweak how the maps are laid out a bit. Uh, there's one thing I should note is there's a few errors in this game where the first printing of the game, they're missing the sentry positions, and there was one map that was a little confusing how to set up, but none of this was game-breaking in that they posted a PDF of all the locations of sentries, and it's really not that big of a deal to to set up, because really, you only put them in the starting locations, and once they move from that location, that's it. They don't move again for the rest of the game. And even the the, the map question we had, we were able to figure out just after a couple of minutes of discussing it. So, But there's definitely a few errors in there. I will say that the newer printings will be fixing these errors too, so it shouldn't be that big of a deal. Also, don't buy this game. If you just want a game, you can buy it off the shelf and play it immediately because you cannot do that with this game. It took me a long while to punch out all the walls and assemble them. It's not a, not a slow process for sure. It wasn't a hard process. It was pretty easy and clear how to do it. And it turned out actually pretty cool in the end, having all these 3D boards that once you have them assembled, it's really quick to get to the table because you just like plop down one of these maps and you, you're good to go for the most part other than some minor setup with tokens. But yeah, I would say with my final thoughts is the fact that this is so unique and I can't think of another game quite like it, it's definitely keeping my collection. I, I will be planning on buying the expansions if they ever expand this game because I th think that would help a lot with what Elijah said earlier. There's terrain is only really these crates and boxes you can hide behind. It could be a lot cooler with some really interesting terrain, some more cyborgs, more actions you can do but yeah but yeah i really enjoyed this one
And so that's going to wrap up another episode. If you have any news or upcoming games you'd like us to discuss, let us know, and we will do our best to share them with our listeners. And please join us in Slack. There's a link in the show description, and you're welcome to send us an email, onestopcoopshop at gmail.com. So join us next week when Mike and Peter review a game and do a design discussion, and we'll see you at the next stop. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Co-OpCast, your one-stop for cooperative game news and reviews. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please review us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out Mindless Fate. They provide our bumper music. Also, check out Colin on his YouTube channel, One Stop Co-op Shop, and follow us on Facebook at One Stop Co-OpCast. Finally, join our Slack group by emailing us at MVP Board Games for continued discussion on these topics throughout the week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Uh, so that was a long ah. Uh, uh. I can remove them easily. <laughs> it was like um, that was funny. Some people may not consider this a dexterity game. I guess that really depends um, on your view of what is being dexterous. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to say that word. Dexter- dexterous? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Dexterous? Full of dexterity. There we go. We'll, do, okay. we'll go with that. <laughs>